Good morning. It's May, folks. It's spring. Good morning. It's going to be 87 next week. Come on, summer. All right. Well, before we get to 87 degrees, let's do this. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 34. Psalms 34 is where you need to turn. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, no problem. Just slip up your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. You're going to want that. You're going to want that text right in front of you. So slip up your hand. And when you get that Bible from one of our volunteers, turn in it to Psalms 34. Here's what we're doing. We are starting a five-week series in the Psalms. I love this book. The church has loved this book uh, for thousands of years. When I uh, lived at a Christian monastery for a time period, we would sing the Psalms verse by verse every day. So I've spent countless hours uh, in, this, in this book. And, and we're going to be in here all of May. And let me tell you what it can do for you. Let me tell you what it's done to millions of people over time. It's this. It can provide such a change in your relationship to God. That's what it can do. Take a look at this. Isn't that cool? Sam did that. Quite some, Well, she's not here, so don't worry about that. Uh, she's out of town uh, this weekend. Uh, pretty amazing. Psalms, subtitle, your relationship with God. That's what the Psalms do. This is where for thousands of years, the church has received a thorough, thorough education on how to have a deeply personal relationship with God. And so we're going to take five weeks to just steep right there uh, in this book and expect some change. Here's some change you might uh, see happen in your life. It'll be on the screen. How to daily talk to God. The Psalms will give you an education on that. How to rightly see God and who he is and his attributes, how he works, his ways. Another thing you're going to find is how to be emotionally honest with God. The Psalms will teach you that. How to receive wisdom from God. There's all kinds of great wisdom here. How to confess and repent to God. How to worship God. How to biblically understand God. How to, in general, have an ongoing relationship with the infinite one the maker, creator, redeemer of all that we have attached to this three-letter word, God. That's what it's all about. Now, I don't know everyone's backstory in this room. You might be a spiritual infant. Maybe you're new to the faith. Or maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you're just, if you're honest, a spiritual infant. Maybe you're an adolescent. Maybe you're an adult. Maybe you've been in church your entire life, but your spiritual age is far younger than your biological age. Okay? I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what this uh, year has been like so far in 2022 for you or for you college students. I don't know what this semester has been like for you. Have you had your last day of class yet, college students? No, when is that? Wednesday? Wednesday, Tuesday, y'all need to look that up, all right, because exams are coming. Um, I don't know what this semester has been like for you that are confused about when exams are. Um, here's the reality. You might be spiritually growing right now or plateauing right now. You might be in a, a place of doubting or even dying. It doesn't matter. I believe the Psalms will deliver like they have for millions of people over time. 
And I believe this. There's a deeper education and renewal for all of us this summer right here in the Psalms in the month of May. I don't just haphazardly choose the next book we're going to go into in the Bible. We pray and we talk and we pray again and we think. And I say, God, speak to me in a thousand ways. Give me a dream. Give me a conversation. Give me a picture. It doesn't matter. Where do you want us to go next in your word? And this is what I believe he has highlighted for us. So, so I'm, ex- I'm expecting. That's the plan. It's going to be a great month together. Here's the plan for today. Psalms 34. Here's how it's going to go. It's on the screen. And this is a model for what you should do anytime you come to, to, to study the Bible on your own. We're going to read the passage. We're going to pray for God to speak through the passage. Thirdly, we're going to study the passage verse by verse. And then fourthly, by his grace, we're going to live the passage. There's four things every time. Read, pray, study, get into it. God chose this means, language, ideas to communicate to us, to grow close to him. It's through a book. So study it and then by his grace, live it. All right, that's the model. So let's go ahead and pick it up. This is coming uh, from King David by God's spirit. I want to read the first half of the psalm. Picking up in verse 1. David writes this. Just listen to these words. I will bless the Lord at all times, he says. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David goes on. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. What a verse. Those who look to him are radiant. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David goes on. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. What a promise. Lastly, he says, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word now. And we're expectant. That your Holy Spirit will speak to us in it. We believe there are things that you want to communicate, things you want to do, things you want to say deep inside of us. And so Lord, I just pray that as we study, we would listen for the voice of your Spirit. That you would bring a conviction, Holy Spirit, an emotion, an insight, a repentance, a confession, a love. Only you can do this, Holy Spirit. And so we look to you right now in your word. And we ask that we be done in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Psalm 34. Let's study. We read, we pray, now we study. What's the first thing that you notice with this psalm? There's something before verse 1. There's a description. And the description reads, just take a look at your Bible. It says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. So it's giving you the context. This is a description of who wrote it. It was David. 
King David, he's not king yet. He's a younger man. So he's not king yet. But it's written by David. And it also describes what was happening to him when he sat down to actually write and pen down this psalm. And we're going to get into that. It's what inspired him to write it. It's like when a musician gets asked, what's, what's the story behind this song, right? Everyone's seen v, VH1, Behind the Music? That's what it's called, right? Yeah? Uh, some of our older folks. I mean, Gen Z's like, VH what? <laughs> what is VH1? Don't worry about it. What's going on here is he's given the story behind where this psalm came from. You can find David's story in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to turn there in a second. What inspired him to write this? Let me give you a bit of background and then we'll get into the verse. Here's what you need to know. David, he would have been, scholars roughly say, in his late teens, early 20s. Maybe mid-twenties, but somewhere in that time frame, okay? Here's what you need to know. David, when he pens down this psalm, is at the lowest point in his life. That's what you're going to see. At the lowest point in his life. He's a young man who knows his calling, but is confused on how to get there. I'm going to say that again. He knows his calling, who he is, what he's supposed to do, but he's confused on how to get there. Can anyone in this room relate Right. He's been anointed as the future king of Israel. That's what you see in first Samuel, but is currently nothing like a king. He's he's a fugitive on the run for his life because the existing king, King Saul, is trying to kill him and keep him from taking his throne. It's like a Game of Thrones situation here. I've never actually watched that show. I've heard that could be questionable if one should watch that show. I won't give an official endorsement or condemnation there. But he's on the run. And the existing king is trying to kill him. Okay? And so God has called David to something. Promised something in David's life. But it seems like ever since that day... All hell has broken out in opposition to that something. So happen when you walk with God. Let's take a look. Turn back in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 21. That's where the story is. 1 Samuel 21. Conveniently, it's right before 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel 21, remember he's on the run from King Saul, so he flees to a different city, he encounters another king, and it doesn't go so well. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Achish was his personal name, his title though was Abimelech, remember from Psalm 34, it's like when they would call uh, Caesar, the, you know, the leader of Rome. Caesar was his title, and he had a personal name. So same person. So Saul went from, that, from Saul and went to Achish, the king of God. Verse, verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Verse 12. David took these words to heart, 
and was much afraid of Akish, the king of Gath. So the scene is the king, Akish's counselors are saying, hey, this is David. He's a warrior. He's a dangerous man. He's probably here to spy out what's happening here. He's not here on good terms. David hears that King Akish has heard of this and David gets afraid. Watch what David does. Just, just see this in your mind. Verse 13. So David changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. So he goes nuts. It's like someone convicted on trial in the courtroom goes crazy, so they'll get off. Now, David hasn't committed any crimes, but he takes up this tactic. Verse 14, then Akish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So it works. And look what happens right here in the beginning of chapter 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he's in a cave. He's, he's on the run. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone, look at this description, who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. What a crowd to hang out with. And he, David, became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. The lowest point in his life. Hiding in a cave with some of society's not fondest crap. Watch this. Scholars believe, as it's described in Psalm 34, that it's right here. Hiding in the cave, on the run from two kings. That's kings. That's not just like two assassins. That's entire governments that are trying to kill him. At this lowest point in David's life, this is when he sits down and he writes Psalm 34. And then he sings what he writes down out loud to these men in the cave. And it goes like this. David gets up at the lowest point in his life and he says this to the men. He sings it. I won't, but he sings it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, David says to these men. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble, the humble that are with me in the cave, let them hear and be glad. And he calls them to worship. Saying, brothers, verse 3, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together right now. I sought the Lord and he answered me, it says in verse 4, he delivered me from all my fears. Get this. This is where this young man could have totally turned selfward and inward in self-pity in fear, but rather what you see is he turns totally Godward in praise. That's his reaction. That's his response. And that's what this entire psalm is about. The entire psalm is about you and I learning 
to have a Godward life over a selfward life. That's what it's about. It's about you learning to make God your first reaction, your first reflex, and not yourself. That's what David's doing here. That when tragedy hits, and it's so easy to turn inward, and to become bitter, or to become scared, or to try and figure out all these ways to deliver yourself from it, that when tragedy hits, your first response is you go to God. That's what David did here. That when blessings come, you don't, what does it say in verse 2? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. When blessings come, you don't start boasting in yourself. Look what I accomplished. Look what I pulled off. Look at the, look at the quarter I had in our business. What's that? You boast in the Lord. You go to God. That's your first reaction. That when problems come, what does it say in verse 4? I sought the Lord. I don't know about you, but when problems come, it's easy for me to first seek out myself and to solve the situation. But David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. I heard an example this week. I loved it. When an argument arises with your spouse, you pause. You the prayer I pray the most. It's those three words. Do you remember them? Lord, help me. Lord help me. It's, it, I know it sounds comical and it slightly is, but it's genuine. It's just three words. Lord help me. When you're in an argument, you pause and you go to God first. Lord help me. And then you re-engage in the conversation. Look at David's Godward life. That's the word today, a Godward life. Verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all, that's that word, all, my fears. He goes on, he says, those who look to him, when things happen, when they look to him, are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. He's talking about himself in verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He makes a bold statement. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. What I see in these four verses, this song that he sang out, is that David is seeing God everywhere. Everywhere. Remember, I went to, I went to bed last night. And, you know, we live in a safe area, but there's, in the back of your mind, you know, doors are locked, alarms on, the whole kind of thing. I just remember verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And I, I just was like, Lord, I want to see like that. I want to go to bed like that. I want to feel and think like that. That Godward life that David describes here. Here's what I know. The Psalms will train you. They'll reshape your thinking. They will train you to see your entire life and the world and yourself through the lens of God and his activity in your life. That's what it's going to renew your mind to do. Because here's the reality. I've said this many times. I'm going to keep saying it. It's good news. God is the realest one in this room right now. God is more real 
and more eternal and more substantive than the chair you're sitting on. The presence of God. God is infinite. God spans in all directions. As Paul said to the Athenians in Acts 17, in God, quite literally, we live, move, and have our being. God is everywhere. Psalm 139. God's the realest one in this room. But there are times when you and I, we can make, you can make your fears more real than God. Do you know what I'm talking about? In the moment, you can make them more real than the presence of Almighty God ready and willing and there to help you. What happens in a moment is we make our fears bigger in our mind and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they become, in our experience, more real than the realest one in the room right there in the midst of your problem, which is Almighty God. That's when we don't do what Paul says. It's in 2 Corinthians. It'll be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 10. I try and live by this verse, by his grace, every day. What does it say? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against what? The knowledge of God. What is that problem in your life that's causing all kinds of stress and fear for you to diminish the bigness of God and make that problem bigger? What's happening is that, that, that problem is exalting itself over the knowledge of God in that moment. He's saying we destroy those arguments in our minds. We destroy those opinions. How? Because we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What does that mean? To obey what Christ shows us as real. To obey what we know about God through Christ and the gospel. The greatest thing I ever heard was preach the gospel to yourself every day. To take every thought in obedience to Christ is to take those thoughts to the reality of God that we find in the gospel. And see what they say. When we don't, we let our fear spiral us down into a fictional world where they're bigger than God. Where I basically become an atheist And God ceases to exist in my experience. And all that's left is this big, scary problem. Am I the only one that experiences this? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I want to do what David says in Psalm 16, verse 8. This is the practice. I told you not the practice to do. Let me tell you the practice to do. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. That's a daily activity to do. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. In my mind, in my experience. He's there, but I have to set the Lord before me in my experience. In my mind. After the prayer that I pray the most of, Lord help me, which is three words. The second prayer I pray the most is only one word. And it's this, God. I just say the name of God over and over. I'll be driving. And I'll be so caught up in my little story that day. And my little kingdom. Or just tired. Hungry. Normal things. And I'll just set the Lord always. I'll just say, God. 
God, God, God. I'm literally just coming back to the reality of his presence right there with me. Massive, big, holy, powerful, deserving of worship, generous, gracious, kind. Just saying, God, God, God. It's probably one of the number one practices that helps me to live a God-centered life. It changes my entire day. Now, let me be honest with you. It's easy for me to stand up here and talk. Just talk about these things. But I'll tell you this. I want to grow in this, in this Godward life. So much this summer. Some of you think you're already there. You're not. There are infinite depths and layers and degrees to living in communion with the infinite almighty God. That's why Jesus characterizes eternal life as knowing God because it literally takes an eternity to do it because God is infinite. Don't let your spiritual pride keep you from deeper levels of intimacy with the Lord. Some of you feel inadequate to do this. You're not. By His grace, you're not. I want this Godward life. I need this. I want a deeper level. I'm greedy this morning. I want this. I feel the need for it. I want my wife to have this. I want my kids to have this. I want you to have this. What's our vision here? It's to be a center and center for the kingdom of God. I want to be a center where we grow in this Godward life together. A center and a summer where we grow in this. That's what I want. And as we grow, we fulfill the Great Commission and we disciple others into that Godward life. And we start exporting it out all across hearts and homes, into, into businesses, into UGA. That's what it means. We send it out. We're a center of that kind of growth and we're a sender of it through the people we disciple and serve and are kind to and witness to. That's what we're about. I'd love to see Oconee and Athens over the years saturated with more worship of God. Isn't that a good goal? I want to see more. I want to see the ratio go up of people that make much of God, that find joy in God, that find themselves continually having, verse 2, in their mouth the praises of God. That's a goal. Not just to have a bigger budget or more people in the room. God will use those things to that end. But I want to see the worship of God increase in this place. And so do you. Let's get back into the text. David had every opportunity in this cave. You got to feel that to run selfward and not Godward. And self-pity and self-fear and self-deliverance, but he doesn't do it. What's his response instead? Look at verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. He's inviting you into his, the kind of Godward life that he lives. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What's a refuge? It's, it's a military fortress. It's where you run to for safety. You retreat there. What a great image where God becomes your refuge, your place of safety that you run to throughout the day. When temptation comes your way, when accusation comes your way, when insecurities come your way, when problems bigger than you come your way, you run to God. That's your refuge. Look what he says. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. 
For those who fear him have no lack. What a promise. God, grow me this summer in my deep felt reverence and respect for you. Help me to fear you. To see you as you, if we saw God as he really is, there'd be two things that would happen. We would tremble in fear at his awesomeness and bigness and his glory. And second, we would feel immensely loved through Christ because of him. It'd be those two things. And I'll tell you this, your love for God and your feeling of love for God are going to grow as your fear and respect of God grow. The bigger God becomes in your mind and your experience, the more you're going to, through that fear and respect of him, the more you're going to experience that love as awesomely powerful and big. And look at the promise. It's one, I mean, fearing God's enough, but it says, those who fear him have no lack. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger. Lion is kind of a self-sufficient, strong animal. But, it, but look what he says. He says, that's not the way. But those who seek the Lord, he says, lack no good thing. David's inviting you into the same Godward life that he has. Here's what I want to tell you. This didn't just happen overnight for him. And this wasn't primarily David's doing. God did this. God did this. Through all kinds of suffering, too. And blessing. He was a very blessed man. It's the only person in the Bible where it says this amazing statement. David was a man after God's own heart. It says that of no one else. <laughs> Later, in David's line, his lineage, his, his you know, grandsons further down, some of them become terrible kings. They don't follow God. They're, they're evil. They're wicked. And you see in, in, in First and Second Kings and in Chronicles, God, God will come to them and say, I should bring judgment on you. But because of my relationship with your forefather, David, I won't do it. Special. Very special. God did it, though. And these are the two things God did with David. These are two things because of Christ he'll do with us. You'll see them on the screen. It's two works. God delivered him from a selfward life, and God developed in him a Godward life. Those happen at the same time. God will deliver you from those mental and emotional patterns of always doing this and looking out for you, right? He's got to deliver you from that over time. But he'll also, by his grace and spirit, develop in you these spiritual instincts to go to him first. And because of Jesus, God can do the same for each one of us this summer. Here's what I want to ask how many of you want this? How many of you want that kind of life with him? How many of you right now want to set this summer aside, sanction it, and just pray the prayer, God, grow me in this this summer. I want to grow in a daily and continual Godward life, break out of being entangled like in a spider web from all these selfward, habitual, mental, and emotional patterns. How many want this? God's going to do it in a thousand different ways when you say yes. He will. He'll do it in the Bible. He'll do it in community this summer. He'll do it in suffering. He'll do it in blessing. He'll do it in your work. He'll do it in doubt. He'll do it in despair. He'll do it in joy. He'll do it in prayer. He'll do it in through conversations with your children. I'm supposed to disciple my children and I'm trying. I tell you what, they're discipling me. They show me childlike faith all the time. And Jesus says that's a requirement to even enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
This is what I want to tell you. When you say yes to this, God's coming. He's going to change your life by changing your relationship to him. Practically, what's one example of how this works and grows? Just one example. John, give me something practical. I hear you people. I get it. One thing. It's one word. Talking. Talking. Communicating. You got to talk to God. Some of you think, I already talked to God. There's, there's, there's layers, there's levels. You got to talk to God. How does a marriage grow? Got to talk. Got to communicate. Same thing in your relationship to God. I was in my home office. It's a separate building from our home. It's a glorified shed is really what it is, but I'm grateful for it. And I'm in my home office and I'm deep in work. And then I had to go to the bathroom, so there's no bathroom there. So I get up and I, and I go to walk in to my house. And it was a beautiful day. And typically, I don't know, I might just look and say, ah, it's beautiful, it's awesome. But I've been reading Psalm 34, right? Let's praise continually be in your mouth. I'm trying to practice this Godward life. And so when I walked outside, instead of doing that, I just, I turned the moment into praise. It's, it's not complicated. And I said, Lord, I praise you. I praise you for this day. Look at this beauty. This comes from your power and from your love. And it became a moment. Look at all the talking to God that David does in this psalm. Look at it on the screen. You can add all these things into your relationship with God. Take a look. Those are the verses on the right. He talks about blessing God, praising God, boasting in God, magnifying God, exalting God, seeking God, experiencing. It's that tasting and seeing, refuging in God, fearing God. Some of you might be bored in your relationship with God. That's because your menu is too small. Steak every time. I'll take the steak. You know, those people that go to the same restaurant, they get the same thing every time. They bore me to death. <laughs> Branch out. Too often we think in our relationship with God, we got like two, two modes. Like, well, I'll read my Bible and I'll pray. And, well, there's different kinds of verses, different kinds of Bible. Psalms will educate you. Those nine things, nine verbs. Those are verbs. You can do that. Give me something to do, pastor. Do that. You know what that is, right? That's me looking at the clock over there. I had this whole other thing I wanted to tell you. Let me say this. We got two goals this summer. I mentioned them last week. One is to grow closer to God. The Psalms will help us do that. Number two is to grow closer to each other. And you've been hearing us talk about this midweek ministry. We want to start on June 1st, hopefully. I don't know if it's going to be Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. We're working on that. We're in conversation. Hopefully it's going to be here. If it's not here, it's hopefully a school right around here. But think of it as like one big grace group, one big house church where we're just going to have the scriptures open and we're going to grow closer to God and grow closer to each other. Everyone is invited. If you're a college student, you're invited. If you're here this summer, all the adults are invited. We're going to, we'll get you more details on that as we get there. And then tonight we got our church social. We're kicking off the summer and we're ending the semester at the same time. That's at the Bateman's house. You'll hear more about that at the end of the service. It's a great way to start the summer to go after these two goals. And while I'm on the subject, I have a note here. For this midweek ministry, we're in need of some paid babysitters. So if you want to make some money this summer and help out the church, this is a commercial, you can do that. Seriously, we're in need of that. We're going to have kids ministry and student ministry happening, you know, as the adults and college students are meeting together. And so I don't have an email, do I? Is there a slide for an email? I don't know, but we'll get that to you. We'd love to have some um, babysitters get paid and help out with that as we do that.
Oh, that's it. Athens at gfc.tv. Babysitters need. Are those even our kids? Yeah, they are. All right. <laughs> Email that. So sometimes we just use random photos. Oh, man. I've got a whole second talk here. We'll just have to land this plane, friends. I was going to talk about the gospel and First Peter and quote a pastor. That'll come. That'll come. Let me invite the band up. You feel what I'm talking about this morning? I think we all do. I think we all do. We got four more weeks to get that deeper education and renewal in this book. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm grieving for it myself. And I want it for our church. Let me end by saying this. The only way this is possible is through Jesus. The gift of the gospel a lot of people think there's all kinds of different gifts to the gospel, and there is. There's things like forgiveness of sin, and sanctification, and reconciliation to God, and justification. All those exist, though, so that you can have a relationship with God. You're forgiven of sins, you have a relationship with God. You're justified, so you can have a deep relationship with God. And so the greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. The greatest gift of the gospel is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he's created the possibility for you to have a Godward life. And so I just want, uh, I want us to take that into communion this morning, into the Lord's table. So go ahead and grab the communion elements that are with you. Grab it, you can just slip up your hand, we'll bring it to you. I want you to feel that this morning. Everything we talked about that we want to grow in this summer, all of it was made possible because of Christ. If you're here this morning, you wouldn't necessarily yet call yourself a follower of God, but you're interested, you're seeking, you're curious, you're here. The way to that relationship is to first have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, come talk to me. Talk to a friend you made here. Talk to someone you came to church with this morning. And do this. Read one of the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You'll get to know Jesus. He'll meet you. And he'll take you to God. So Lord, we pray. As we come in, maybe tired from the calendar year, the semester, we come back to your table. Lord, we say, feed us with yourself. Jesus, you said, I am the bread of life. You didn't come just to give bread. You came mainly to be bread. We might eat of you and know God. And so, Lord, we confess our sins from this past week, how we lived that selfward life. And Lord, we come back needy again and expect that your, your spirit will help us into this next week. But we start at your table. It's all possible because of the table. Because of your life. 
your death for our sake. Your resurrection, Jesus, as king over the universe and your ascension into heaven, now ruling and reigning. And we're safe in your kingdom. Lord, we proclaim your death, Jesus, until you come again, and I believe you will. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.